homeschool kids. They've got nothing else to do, right? Shouldn't they be learning? Yeah, they're supposed to. Go, they're gonna go home and start making buttermilk. <laughs> and I think that's the the typical thing when people go, "Oh, you homeschool." I think they feel like you live on ten acres and you have like two cows and a goat and some chickens and like you homestead and you're off the grid. And I mean, I wasn't sure if that was a joke or not. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like they think it's Little House on the Prairie like all the time. episode it's been a while since we've actually chimed in we have just been slammed busy with uh family and um church stuff and then sickness i think my house got sick for like two weeks and then i think my kids got your kids sick and so that means that we've spent most of the past like month just trying to put antibiotics and tylenol into our families and hopefully everything comes out all right. But everyone seems to be doing better now. Um, but we finally have a few free moments where we can pop in and hang out with you guys for hopefully an hour. We're just going to see how much our stamina is. And so we'll find out. But it, it, I had a carb-heavy lunch. I'm feeling pretty sleepy, so your <laughs> coffee better wake us up. Well, and that's that's unique for you because you've been on this like only – only vegetables and brown rice diet, right? Or something like that? No, it's not that extreme. I mean, I could have a bunch of meat, but there was several things that I could not have. <laughs> straight protein. Give um, me the bacon. Yeah, so I went on a super strict uh, diet after finding out that I'm sensitive to a whole bunch of different foods. Um, long story short, I basically was feeling like arthritis pain in several joints and got a food sensitivity test. And had to take out a ton of different um, vegetables, a lot of different nuts, um, some fruit, even various spices that basically took away Mexican food, which is my favorite if you know anything about me. Um, and I went 42 days on this like super strict, lots of bland chicken, steaks with nothing but salt and pepper, which, you know, that's good, but I can only afford so much of that. Um and then, yeah, very limited vegetables, and it was not fun for 42 days. I felt amazing. Then I crashed, and now I'm hurting again. So I'm thinking maybe, like, after Christmas I'll try it again, but I'm not even trying right now. Life is <laughs> life is too busy. Well, So you're pretty much just telling everybody, if you want to have a doctor that hates you, go to Travis's doctor. <laughs> And uh, he'll take away your Mexican food, and that'll be... It's not true. We were just trying a natural approach before medication. So what about, like, how did you survive without Mexican food? How, is that possible? It is possible. I'm proof that it can happen 42 days, which was a big <laughs> deal because I've tried... It's the cap. It's like that's the limit. 42, and you die 42 after that. that's it. Um, I've, I've tried Whole30 multiple times and never made it to day 30. So... Okay. Um, the fact that I made it past 30 days was a big deal. And uh, shout out to my wife who cooked a lot of strange and bland things for me because I don't cook well and she helped me keep it, you know, as good as it could have been. Um, but yeah, you can go without Mexican food. It is possible. So did she make you like a bland meal and then she would come in with like her enchiladas or something like that and <laughs> salsa? Um, I mean, she ate out. Sometimes when she would like cook something for me, but she frequently just ate what I ate. Oh, so, she's so sweet. She's 
I mean, it helps because she's also very health conscious. And so, like, I mean, mine was very tailor specific to my sensitivities, but she eats pretty clean normally anyway. So, in the middle of Melina's cravings on this last one, we I would make dinner and it would be okay. Like, it wouldn't be the most fantastic thing, but when you're trying to save money and you're just looking through your pantry and your fridge and you're like, oh, we can throw this together and it'll, it'll be fine. Um, she would choke it down and then we'd get the kids to sleep and she'd just be sitting there craving. She's like, I need a cheeseburger. So I'd have to like, <laughs> I'd to like run to Whataburger and get her a cheeseburger and some fries. It was one night I got her like a cheeseburger and f- like a large fry and a large Coke. And she pulled the whole thing down at like 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, this is not healthy. She's like, I'm hungry. Well, you're pregnant, so you get to decide what life looks like for you. <laughs> I don't get to. You're I'm growing a human. You keep, can eat yeah. what you want. I'm going to keep my nose and face out of that. Um, so, yeah. So, that's an unfun diet, though. I don't know. Dieting is not. I I don't mind eating well. Like, that doesn't bother me. But I started thinking the other day. I was like, if I started to lose weight, people would be like, oh, what kind of plan are you on? And I would just be like, oh, I'm on the stressed out and anxious plan. It's just like <laughs> you stay stressed out and anxious all the time and it suppresses your appetite. So um, it's more of a starvation diet than it is. A <laughs> <laughs> but they don't call that plans anymore. Like they just call that like mental health. Yeah, that's that's just not good for you. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about mental health today. So it'd be cool. But coffee related for our mental health. Um this is a Brazil natural process, actually. So it's not a washed, which is huh. interesting. Yeah. That's rare. Yeah. And uh, I try to get the flavor profiles off of it, but it's been a while since I ordered it versus when I roasted it. So when I scanned the little QR code to get the flavor profile, it wouldn't give me anything on it. And I was like, well, that sucks. But uh, it's really, to me, it's a very basic cup of coffee. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that it's natural process. Yeah. And so... I, I don't know. I mean, it, when I brewed it at home, it tastes real basic. And I'm like, okay, I was hoping for a little bit more, maybe like nutty overtones or uh, kind of a chocolate influence with it. Maybe even like a mulling spice, like some sort of a spice. But all I really get with this one is this tastes like coffee. And so yeah. <laughs> I'm a yeah. little bit, I'm a little the, bit disappointed. The but the Ethiopian we had a couple of weeks was probably my favorite coffee that you've roasted that I've had. Yeah. This it, one is rather basic. <laughs> well, I asked Melina the other day. I said, hey, what'd you think of the coffee? Because I just roasted it and I brewed it. And I was like, that's not bad. And she goes, is it the Ethiopian? And I said, no. She goes, oh. She's like, it's good. And I was like, so you'll you'll like drink it down and, and be okay. She's like, let's just put some sugar in it. <laughs> <sighs> so I've, but I've, that's why I brought some here. I was like, I'm going to make some Ethiopian. I'm done with this. Um, I got some other ones at the house too, but. But it's not bad. I think it it could be better, but it's a clean cup. It doesn't it's not too bitter. This would be a good cup for somebody who like doesn't like specialty coffee. Yeah. But like it's just it's good. Well, and I tend to reserve my Brazil for that, but it's been a while since I've had some, and so I'm like, crap, I forget what it even tastes like. And so for for me sometimes I like to to roast a little bit of what I haven't had in a while so that way I don't like completely lose my mind when somebody asks. Cause I'll be, I'll get things confused and then I'll be like, Oh yeah. Like your Kenya tastes like, you know, dirt got rubbed into your eyes. And it's, just, <laughs> it's not true. Kenya is usually beautiful, but it's so expensive. I just can't afford it. Yeah. Kenya's kind of go either way for me. 
Well, I think I've had some that are amazing and some that are like not good at all. Depends on the farm and the process. Sure. I mean, but that's every coffee. The, anyway. pro- the process is really, and now you're seeing a lot of this anaerobic kind of fermentation process that's coming around. Um, but you bought some from oddly. Did you ever get it in? Yeah. I got a, uh, Sumatran coffee. Yeah. Which even oddly said in their description, like Sumatra's kind of known for having like dirty, nasty, not the best coffee. Real bitter. Yeah. Um, but this one has notes of cherry cola, ooh, watermelon candy. <laughs> I think it was vanilla and dark chocolate, if I remember right. Wow. But yeah, so when when you like first finish brewing it, it's super bright and acidic. Um, like I saw what they meant when they said watermelon candy. Like it was it was interesting, but very quickly it, like it started changing into like almost like a cherry coke. Wow. Super good. Probably, I texted my friend Blake about it. I was like, this is probably the best coffee I've had all year. That's awesome. I, um, this, I, I don't even know the best coffee I've had all year. I think it just kind of, it, there's a point where in my brain, my brain just goes, oh, it's coffee. And it just forgets what I've done. And so, I yeah. would say though, earlier in this year when we did, or maybe that was last, was that last year? We were doing coffee club last year around this time. Oh yeah, yeah. I completely <laughs> forgot. Yeah, it's been a year. God, it's been a year. Oh my gosh, um, those were really good. the 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 Kenyans that we had there were were very good. Um, but it would be neat to get um, it'd be neat to get some Onyx and try some Onyx, just because it's like renowned. I was trying to think of what it was when I text Blake about the uh, the Sumatra, and he texted me about something he got from. Onyx and but he exclusively orders from Onyx, right? Um, uh, not exclusively anymore, but that's still his favorite. Oh, well, I actually sold two bags of coffee locally. I was like, this is cool. <laughs> uh, I haven't done much since the baby's been born, but uh, yeah, that was a neat one. And they both wanted well, one wanted an Ethiopian, I did a Brazil for the other one. Um, but they do espresso, so that was always fun because they're like, well, what's what's your espresso blend? I was like, <laughs> I don't have an espresso blend. I do single origin. So just brew it. They're like, well, doesn't it have to be espresso? Nope. No. Just grind mm-hmm. it super fine. Nope. Doesn't have to be. In fact, you get some cool flavor profiles from espresso uh, in single origins. But Whenever I worked for Messenger in Kansas City, we did a, uh, it was a single origin Ethiopian that was natural process that we did as an espresso shot. Yeah. It was so good. Oh, yeah. Well, there's one. I was about to order a Costa Rican the other day because it had notes of maple syrup. Ooh, fun. I know. And I just, I missed out on my discount code. And I was like, well, I'm not paying full price for that. <laughs> I'm cheapskate. But um, yeah, I almost ordered that because I was like, it's perfect for fall. Melina really likes a maple latte. So she likes me to make her like a maple syrup latte or iced coffee or whatever at home. A little bit of pumpkin spice on top, especially for the fall. And she craves that. So, but she's been using oat milk lately. That's been interesting. That's been interesting around her. We haven't done as much dairy, so which I don't care. Cow or no cow, as long <laughs> as it's got a texture of milk, it's going to go down my belly. So anyway, coffee aside, food aside, we've talked a lot about coffee and food. Um, we mentioned a minute ago that we we're going to talk about a little bit about ideas of mental health, and really it's not mental health. It's more of um, what's the best way to describe it? Personal boundaries personal boundaries <laughs> it's, it's boundaries <laughs> but it's more kind of like a personal um 
like I self-care, I guess it's really self-care is what I'm trying to get at. Um, and this is an interesting piece because we've got a couple groups now here in our church that are going through a book called Boundaries by uh, Cloud and Townsend, uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend. They wrote this book, golly, 20 plus years ago. Uh, it's sold over a million copies. They've got it for uh, boundaries individually, for teens, for marriage, for kids, uh, all sorts of cool stuff. I think they even have boundaries for leaders. Um, and so kind of how all that works. But it's essentially a good premise of what it means to put up um, protective things for yourself in your life, uh, uh, giving you the ability to say no when, when you need to say no and to say yes when it's appropriate for you to say yes um, and not feel like you have to do so much and so much and so much. And so we've got a couple groups in our church that are going through this, uh, a set of moms and a set of dads. And um, it's been a real interesting kind of discussion because the moms are like, yes, I need this. And the dads are like, um, I'm probably pretty good. Like, I don't need that stuff. Uh, but I think dads are probably the ones that need it the most because, uh, being a dad, sometimes you have a hard time kind of saying no to things. And sometimes things become more of an escape for you than they do, uh, become something you actually need. But all that aside, uh, we've, kind of decided to pick up some selections from this for today and maybe in through future podcasts as we kind of read through it um, because there's different topics and areas that are applicable for all and every individual uh, things that go from uh, family to work to um, to church to just any area in your life that has influence on you uh, there's ways that we can approach that and we can take care of that and sometimes I think too, it helps us overcome hurts and hangups when it comes to certain things um, because it'll help you go, oh, this problem is not my problem. This problem is just a problem. And just because it's somebody else's problem doesn't mean it's my emergency. And so it just kind of helps you get a better perspective and gain a better perspective on um, how to kind of operate and not lose your mind at the same time, uh, which for me and my family is pretty applicable right now because guarantee you that there are things that I would like to do, but I have to say no to in order to better protect myself and my family. Um, it, case in point, our first responders banquet, which went fantastic, uh, Nathan and their missions team and the individuals of our church that helped out and all the companies that supported it did an amazing job. Um, but I was not able to go and it wasn't because I didn't want to be there and represent our church and just have a great time. But um, that would have been one more evening. I would have been out. Um, even this week, like just thinking through this week, I have meetings tonight. I've, we've got Wednesday tomorrow. I've got uh, a thing on Thursday. There's stuff like happening on Friday. Saturday, we've got people coming over. Sunday is church. Monday is maybe a free day. And then Tuesday, I've got another meeting. And then another. And so it's, you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, my week, my days and everything get kind of overloaded. And so... <clears throat> It's kind of good to be able to step away from that for a minute and figure out some stuff on it. But the good news about boundaries is, is it really helps you kind of get a better grasp on how to just take control of your life. And one of the things that I've always told people is um, there's many things in my life that feel like they're out of control. Um, a lot of times things here at church are out of my control. Like they just happen, um, you know, and, but, uh, <coughs> Easy. <coughs> Bless you. Thanks, man. Thanks. 
It's the tis the season for allergies. La 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 la. Chew. Um, but I, I think that what boundaries does is it kind of helps you gain perspective and get back certain levels of control within your life. And so, um, as we've been kind of reading this, one of the things that really sticks out to me is the first chapter of that book, which it's a neat book, white cover, red pencil, uh, drawn a line. Um, but in the first chapter of that book, it talks about just like helping identify a boundaryless life. Like when you have a life without boundaries. Um, and I find it really interesting, especially in church life that some churches have a great way that they, they help practice boundaries within a church, but then some churches it's like, Oh, like there's no boundaries whatsoever on that. Um, but when it comes to like the individual in that book, he kind of gives a scenario of a lady who is struggling with having appropriate boundaries. But to me, what, what happens when what he shows there at the beginning of that is you wake up and you just kind of dread the day. <laughs> I think that that's kind of, that's, yeah, I mean, he, he walks through the whole first chapter or they walk through this, like, I'm assuming it's a fictional person. Yeah, I'm life. sure it is. And it may come from like stories that they've sure. done counseling with, but, but like it like walks through her day from like 6am to midnight. And what I like about it, one is at least one, if not both of those guys have PhDs in psychology, right? I think so. Um, but they're also like writing from a Christian worldview, at yeah. least from what I could pick up from the first chapter. I've oh, only, yeah. only read the first chapter. Um, but so like when her boss asks for something or like when her friend comes over unexpectedly, like you see not just what she says, but kind of like they paint the picture of what's going on in her mind. And it's always like... um. Lord, forgive me for not being more patient or yeah. loving or like I'm trying to be more and more like Jesus, but then feels guilty and just kind of like lets herself get run over by all of these people. Yeah. Um, and so the thing that stuck out to me, because I think a lot of people will relate to that of just like, you know, their life is dictated by their kids or by their boss or, you know, whoever or all of the above. Um and sometimes we like over spiritualize our response to these things of just like, well, I need to care more. I need to be more patient or, and I think part of the conversation has to be like, when can you say no? Yeah. Um, so just kind of thinking back to the sermon I did on like silence and solitude. It's like, even Jesus, Peter's like, the crowds are looking for you. And he's like, Nope, we're going somewhere else. Yeah. Like, so even, God incarnate sometimes is like, I'm going to go be my, by myself on this yeah. mountain. Yeah. I'm going to go hang out alone. And uh, I'm going to go pray and not be with people. And so like, why do you think we tend to not have boundaries? Yeah. Especially in the digital world. Um, but like, and then how do we, how do we interpret our faith wrong into those situations? Oh, is that a question you're posing here? Yep. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, what's what's your thought on well, that? I think boundaries in the digital world. The, the issue with the digital world, I think, is the digital world knocked down a lot of of a lot of walls that you could have potentially put up because your the ability to stay connected twenty four seven makes you feel like you need to stay connected twenty four seven. One of the ways that we do that is notifications. We get notifications on our phone. And it's, it's stuff that we don't even really need. Like Target sends me notifications during the day. I'm like, I don't need any of this stuff. 
but they know that, you know, maybe nine times out of 10, you ignore it. But then there's that one time you're going to click on it and there's a chance that you could be like, oh, hey, they've got a sale on kids shoes. Well, golly, I need kids shoes, which I did. They had a 30% <laughs> off sale the other day and I was like, yeah, but. Um, Marketing at work, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. But I mean, I think I got you that book, Attention Merchants. And really, I think, or I, I mentioned it to you. I don't think I got it for you, but I mentioned it. Um, but even then, in a, in that book, he even talks about the the rise of marketing and the way that they created messaging in order to draw people's attention. So I think the digital world has just en- enhanced that even more to where now marketing is at your fingertips. Um, it's hard now to even see like a commercial without some, or not like a commercial, but like a show without some sort of plug in it for some commercial. And Melina and I were thinking about this the other day. We were watching, I was watching a YouTube video about uh, smoking a turkey breast. And the guy that I was watching said, uh, but before we get started, I just want you to know this video is sponsored by this, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, and I love this product because of that. I'm like, oh my gosh. And she goes, man, this relates back to the Truman Show, show like so well. Where like in the middle of his daily life, he doesn't know what's going on. But then his wife just turns around and is like, I really love such and such coffee because it just brings the da 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 da. And it's just like this commercial in the middle of his life. And he's like, what is going on? <laughs> but I think that that's kind of what happens in our own lives. We don't even realize the commercial oh, yeah. plug that's in. That's why I don't, I'm not a huge fan of like uh, brand shirts, you know, they're not paying me to be their billboard. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm buying their stuff. But now it's become like brand recognition is one of those things where it's like if you want to be accepted or if you want to be elevated, you have to have that brand recognition on you. And I'm like, I don't. There is a counterculture to that, though. Like there's a lot of people that specifically buy shirts with no brands. Yeah, that's why I buy shirts from like Walmart because (laughs) there's there's nothing brand. And usually it's on clearance and that's what I buy. Um, But I mean, I think that there's that aspect of it. But I think the digital world has knocked down a lot of boundaries because where before um, we could disconnect, I think, from the world around us and actually have that moment of solitude, now we're seeing generations that are growing up in a connected world and they won't know what it's like to be silent. They won't know what it's like to pull away (coughs) and say no. They're going to feel like they have an obligation to say yes to everything. Um, So in the digital sense, I think that's kind of where things are. On the faith sense, I think your other part was talking about over spiritualization or like why we Yeah, like in the in the chapter she's always like, you know, Lord help me be more yeah. patient. Like and it's like there is an element to yeah, we should be patient. That's one of the fruit of the spirit. But but there's a balance in there too. Yeah. So I know people that over spiritualize and they're just like, Oh, We've got to do this and this, this. But then I know people that under spiritualize, like they can't even see the relationship with Jesus in the, in the everyday and the mundane. And I think that that's, that's also a dangerous part to be in. And I think what I do love is at least he's painting a picture where she is connected into a spiritual world, but it's also like how to set up boundaries within your relationship in that spiritual world. I think part of the issue we have, especially in the American church is people don't connect their spirituality with their everyday life. They think that spirituality is just an aspect of like one day of the week or and maybe not that extreme, but they compartmentalize it to where it's a compartment of their life, but it isn't, it isn't their life. You know? So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, um, and no one comes to the father, but through me, they, they understand the part of, well, Jesus is the way, like that's how you get to heaven. He's the truth. That's in his word. The life becomes more of a, um, 
submissive lordship thing. And, and I think that's the hard part that people have is they have a hard time understanding how their life fits within the realm of Jesus. So when they do things, they're doing things like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in God. But, you know, this is my nine to five. I got to make I got to make a dollar to pay the bills. You know, they don't see work as worship. They don't see work as mission. Um, but in that, too, you've got on the other end where people do see that. And then they're like, oh, well, you know, Jesus told me to love everyone. So I got to stay until nine o'clock tonight and do this because my boss said I needed to. Your boss doesn't own you. So not really. And that's another interesting piece that I find with a lot of young millennials and Gen Z is they're coming into these jobs and bosses are saying, oh, I'm going to need you to stay uh, Saturday. And they're like, well, am I getting paid? Like, well, no. Okay. Then I'm, I'm not staying. You know, I'll be a little late. Like I'll be in on Monday. Like that's how late I'm going to be. <laughs> you know? So I think that there's certain aspects of that. And people go, oh, they don't have a work ethic. Is it that they don't have a work ethic or are they just practicing good boundaries? So in the in the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Comer put, points to some study that says something like Americans today, and this was pre-COVID, so maybe some of that has shifted with the quiet quitting and all that going on now, but pre-COVID, Americans worked on average three to four more weeks than they did in the 1970s. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know. I think part of it has to do with like the fact that we take our smartphone and computers and stuff home. And so it's like, yeah, I can work on the sermon here. I can reply to these emails at home. I can do, I can, so we end up upload a podcast at midnight. Yeah. Just so maybe you should do some boundaries (laughs) and not do that. Um, but it's like, we end up actually working more on average, not everybody. Like I know there's lazy people and whatnot, but, on average, Americans actually working more than they were, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And so it's like, how do we, you know, it's interesting. Like one of the jobs that I had before here, I did get asked to work a bunch of overtime. And at the time we were pretty poor and they paid well overtime. So it was like, sure. Like, yeah, yeah, as long as you're paying me. But like, if it was like, Hey, we need you to stay, but like your salary stays the same. It's like, there's a disconnect there. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's the hard part about ministry is in in terms of ministry, people go, oh, well, you're supposed to be on call 24-7. And and I understand that because people have spiritual crisis. Usually people don't have a spiritual crisis at 8 a.m., you know? They don't have a spiritual crisis at like noon. Usually their spiritual crisis comes, especially families, it comes in the evening at the witching hour when their kids are going nuts. They've regretted every life decision they've ever made up to that point. They're tired of making the same snack over and over and over again or making all the food and the kids go, oh, I don't want it. And you're just at your end, you know, and you're in that spiritual crisis of just like, I just want to quit. And that's usually when people get into that mode. So as ministers, we have an, I wouldn't say like an obligation, but we have like kind of a Christian duty. We feel like at times to be available in those moments to where when people go, I'm in crisis, well, let's talk through crisis and let's see if we can get on the other side, at least help them to a point so that we can help them later that next day. Say, hey, maybe schedule, let's schedule some time tomorrow. We'll get together. Um, but so there, there's that aspect. But there's also a difference between someone who's like actually going through a crisis of some sort and just people being needy. Yeah. It's like, hey, can you order this book? It's like, I'm trying to spend time with my wife and kid. Like, yeah. Can this wait till tomorrow? Like. Yeah, you know, and I think there's that's, a difference. That's where you just go, yes, tomorrow. Yeah. You know, or and 
But here's what's interesting to me is I think that you do have a culture of younger people that are practicing boundaries. They're practicing good boundaries because they do have an elevated sense of self-worth, um, which can be good and bad, I think. But one of the good things I think they can come out of it is when people ask them to, sometimes when people ask them to what we call in the work world, go above and beyond, they see that as, no, you're just trying to get more work out of me for nothing. And I have more value than that. And, but what we do is older generations, we look at them and go, golly, you're so lazy. Maybe they're not being lazy. Maybe they're just going, they're saying no to what they need to say no to. And they're saying yes to other stuff. Maybe they're actually going home and rejuvenating themselves so that they can give you the full day tomorrow. Um, and that's one of the things I've been, I'm in a church revitalization cohort right now with, uh, like 36 other guys from across the United States and one guy from like Zimbabwe. And, uh, it's pretty interesting. And it's all on Zoom. And so it's like 10 p.m. there. It's like 2.30 here or 3 o'clock there. Anyway, but uh, in that, one of the things they talk about as every good church revitalizer or every good like minister, you got to get good sleep, you know? And that's, that's one of the things they say is important for anybody that's going to grow a church. If you're working on helping restore a church back to health, you got to get good sleep. I'm like, well, that's terrible. Like they didn't have, <laughs> the, whoever wrote this book, Mark Halleck, didn't have four kids, you know? <laughs> Um, don't be jealous because you're struggling right. in that area. It's just, it's just right now. It's all temporal. That's a, and you have to remind yourself too. This is temporary, but I, I think that that's an aspect of it too that can get overlooked. We are so quick to, when people don't meet our expectations, we're so quick to put them within a category of like, well, you know, they're just lazy or they just don't have a good work ethic. Um, a good work ethic can still happen with boundaries. If they're getting their job done and it's getting done in quality and they're getting it done within the time frame that you've hired them to do it, then guess what? That's good work ethic. Now, if you hire them within a time frame and they're on their phone on Facebook the whole time and they're not actually paying attention to what's going on and they're slacking off on their job, they're not getting anything done, that's being lazy and that's a bad work ethic. But people being able to get their job done within the time frame that you've quoted them, that's just being a good employee. And so if you ask them to stay late without paying them overtime or if overtime is offered and they say, no, I just don't need it. You know, I'll, I'll take care of it tomorrow or can it wait till Monday? You know, if they're asking those things, they're not being a bad employee. They're still looking out for the good of the company by taking care of themselves. And I think that's the same thing in church. If in church, if somebody came to me on a, on a Thursday and said, well, I need you to get this done right now. Well, can it wait? Well, it could, but I need it done right now so I know it's done. Well, I'll tell you what. Send me an email, and I'll work on that Monday. But I cannot get it done for you today. Um, and they get thrown back on that. They're like, what? And I, they always tell you this. What are we paying you for? Because like, you don't know about the other 12 people that have asked me <laughs> yeah. to do something today. My response literally lately has been, I don't know. What are you paying me for? Um, not literally, but... I want to, but I think that's part of it. I think that there's those aspects where um, we have to set back as ministers and say, what do we need to do to take care of ourselves? Because if we burn out, you know, it, it, it harms our church. It, it harms the people that we are putting our care in. If we ask people to keep volunteering over and over and over and over and over for every single event, they're going to get burned out. That book, Church Refugees, like we've talked about, the, the issue with church refugees is people are leaving the church in droves, not people that are n like m 
nominal Christians that have no affiliation with church. These are the dedicated people within your church that are leaving on a regular basis because the church is just asking too much of them and giving nothing back in return. And so they're being asked to do all these things, but they're, they're not being supported on the other end. And so they're like, what's all this for? So then they begin to deconstruct and question a lot of stuff. And this was a, this was a book written like in the early 2000s. It's like 20 years old. So it's not new data. Like this is stuff that we're seeing more of the repercussions of now. But I think that's part of it. The church doesn't allow people, I think, at times to have boundaries. You know, if the doors are open, you should be here. Well, but what if you've had something every other evening or two to three things now every evening and then we're asking you to come be one more part of those things? Can't we do ministry different to where we can meet you where you are without you feeling like you have to drop everything and meet at the church house, you know? And I, I think that that's where the church really is going to have to work on uh, ministry and discipleship, <laughs> make it less about being in a building and more about being involved in people's day-to-day lives in some aspect, um, contextually. Right before we were recording, um, right now in Portland, Oregon, John Mark Homer <laughs> and John Ortberg are doing a conference that's like just for pastors. And at the end of the session that I just watched, like they said, we're not asking you to do anything else. We're asking you to do less. Yeah. Like stop doing so much. Um, in a conversation that I had with brother Paul, I think it was like a week ago. Um, he read somewhere and I don't know where he got this from, but that 1700 pastors are retiring permanently from ministry like every single month. And I think that was across like all Protestant yeah, evangelical denominations. Yeah. Yeah. But still like, that's a lot, it's a lot of people. And he was like, you know, even if you looked at like all six of our big seminaries, it's like, they're not pumping out that many graduates. And it's yeah. like, I get that churches are also dying, but it's like, are we dying that fast? Like, is that? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think that we talk about like even in evangelical world that there's 900 plus churches that'll close their doors uh, every year within like SBC life or within like evangelical denominations. Um, and there's several reasons I think for that. Some of them churches need to close their doors. Some of them churches just needed somebody to love them and they didn't do that. I think part of the issue that we struggle with now is there is this push in our, especially church world for, for bigger churches, bigger staff, bigger, this bigger, that bigger, everything. And what it has caused in a nutshell is that when you have bigger churches, bigger staff, bigger attendance, bigger, this, well, then you got to have bigger ministries, bigger programs, bigger, uh, all this other stuff, bigger budgets. And, and you, you, essentially just create this conglomerate in this machine and you have to maintain that at any point. If that feels like it's dropping, like if, if we were to come in on Sunday and 150 people did not show up for the next four Sundays in a row, there's going to be massive cause of concern. People are going to be like, wait a second, what happened? And they're going to start pointing fingers at staff and going, y'all aren't doing your job. You know, we're, we, we can't maintain what we're doing, you know, if this happens and it, it does become very difficult because then in that nutshell, you've got people losing their jobs, people losing ministry positions. You've got budgets being cut. You've got, uh, what used to be no longer be. And so when we look at that whole thing, 
we have to understand that sometimes what's what we got to be careful of is if we're trying to always keep things bigger and ask people to do more and more and more you have to remember that we are one small group in their life that's asking them to do more while work is asking them to do more family is asking them to do more the school is asking them to do more if at, at a certain point if everyone in my life is asking me to do more and i'm at my end guess what i'm done I'll go flip burgers at McDonald's. You don't have to flip them anymore. <laughs> like I saw this video of a machine. They just throw the frozen patties in a thing. They put this top on top of it. It cooks it all up at one time. And then you flip. I'm like, there's no flipping going on. I was kind of, I was a little upset about that. It's like a little panini press. Yeah. It's like a burger <laughs> panini press. It's so frustrating. I was like, that's not even fair. Um, but I get it. You got to simplify it so that people can replicate. But now in California, you get 22 an hour for that. Oh man. 22 bucks an hour. I don't know. That's still not enough money for me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I think that there's that aspect of it too. So people don't practice good boundaries because they feel like they have to be a part of keeping the machine going. What if we stopped it? Like, could you imagine what it would be like if we came in on a Sunday, stood up in front of our people and said, hey, we've prayed about it. We thought about it. God's telling us to slow down as a church. So we have cut every program moving forward. The only thing that we're going to do is we're going to come in on Sundays. We're going to worship. We're going to spend some time doing worship together. And that's going to be great. We're excited about that. We're going to hear God's word. And then we're going to ask you guys to just meet in homes at one point during the week, just to kind of connect with other people. And then just come back next Sunday. There's no fellowships at the church. There's no, this at the church. There's no, this at the church. People would be like, what, what are we doing then? You know, and if we said all the money that we've been giving to these big programs and ministries, we don't need it anymore. We're going to pull that together and we're going to create or we're going to give to this nonprofit in town that's doing great ministry. And we're going to uh, partner with them and help them grow that and, and, and see that happen. Or, you know, there's this church in town that could really use some resources to help continue to grow their church and reach their community, but they don't have the budget to do that. We're going to supply them with like a certain amount of our budget since we have the resources. Like if we actually did a, everybody came together, broke bread together and gave of everything they had. Like if the local church actually, uh, you know, I mean, people would be like, no, (laughs) we've got to have our things. Um, And the things, I think the programs that we have at Calvary aren't bad. We're not overloaded. I don't think with programs like some churches are. Uh, But at the same time, I think that the backlash that you would receive from that because you said no to something. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think in America in general, ever since the 1950s, we've been building a consumeristic culture. And I think that's crept into the church in all sorts of unhealthy ways. Yeah, I mean, I think if you stopped everything on a dime like that, like, yeah, that would be wild. That would never go over well. Then you've got churches on the other end. I know churches, large churches in metropolitan areas that had to go to their people and say, hey, listen, we need you to stop giving. You're giving too much and we don't know where to where to put it. <laughs> like, So then you've got churches on the other end having that problem where they're trying to find ministries that they can give money to. You know? I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it can't be that hard to find Oh yeah, I mean, I'm places sure it isn't, that need but, money. But I'm, I mean, for them, I'm sure it was just like a headache. It's like, 
<laughs> we're, tr- we're trying desperately to get rid of this as much okay, as we can. Bob Goff, how, ma- how many schools can you build with this amount of money? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I think that that's an interesting piece of it is I always look at it as this. The church is not like a piggy bank, you know, and it shouldn't be. Um, that money should be distributed out to ministries. But, you know, I understand that we have teams and, and I get to love sitting on those teams and talking with them. But what more could be done? You know, what more could be done to help? So, but I think that's just like one aspect, I think, of that kind of a hurried life. But uh, talking from a volunteer perspective, in that first chapter of that book, one of the things he proposes is, you know, this lady is, a fictional lady or whatever, is talking about wanting to go to a women's retreat. And it's like a hiking retreat. She's very excited about getting to detach from the daily mundane part of life and uh, kind of spend some time in personal retreat. And just a way um, to to spend time personally with the Lord, and um, then she gets a phone call, and it's like, "Hey, our activities director dropped out, and I know that you would love to serve and, and help in that way." And she's like, oh, "I know that if I do that, every other thing that I need to do to replenish myself goes away." But God, you know, you told me to serve, and I really need to serve. So she agrees to do something. So she adds one more thing to her plate that she really doesn't want to do, and that she knows she doesn't need to do. And I think that that's a big aspect of it too, that we at times, I, I'll tell you from a personal perspective, I've probably taken two or three sabbaticals since I've been here because you get one every one week for every two years. Um, most of them have been in town. I think there was one where I went to Arkansas and spent some time in Arkansas. My ideal sabbatical, and I've talked to Melina about it, and I've tried to figure out how to make it work, rent a cabin middle of nowhere myself maybe a couple books things like that get a track phone with some other number on it leave my other phone at home you know my wife knows how to get a hold of me and maybe one other person knows how to get a hold of me um but to completely detach from my world and the thought of that frightens me because i'm like golly something's gonna happen if i walk away like something's gonna happen if i leave for that week and I'm going to have to pick up the slack when I get back. People always ask me all the time, it's like, why don't you take a break and go on vacation? Every single time I take time off and go on vacation, the workload when I get back is so frustrating that I can't even fathom wanting to leave because I just don't want to deal with it when I get back. And I think that that's part of that, that idea where you don't feel like you have the freedom to say no because you feel obligated to be available all the time. And for me, I know that a lot of my anxiety and frustration centers around that inability to say no when I need to say no. And I can't say yes to the things I want to say yes to because I'm, you know, because then you feel like you're taking advantage of, of something else. And so it's tough because at the, but at the end of the day, it's, you got to take care of yourself. Other people aren't going to take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to sound like we're just complaining about our jobs in the church or anything like no, no, that. No, that's me. Like the, the church isn't the problem. It's me. Like the, really when I take, when I look back at the perspective of it, the church operates fine when I'm gone, but it's that fear of something's going to happen if I walk away for a minute and you're just like, oh, well, maybe I just need to stay. Um, and I think that that's part of that aspect that you just got to remember that, yeah, you may have more work to do on Monday when you get back, 
but that's just part of it. Any job that you do is going to be that. Like if you left a restaurant for an entire week and closed it up, when you get back, you're going to have a lot of prep, a lot of throwing away, a lot of cleaning, a lot of this. Like you're going to take a day just to do that. Oh yeah. I hated when I worked at the bank, um, like any day after a bank holiday, yeah. the, the amount of businesses that would come with like twice their amount of deposits and how long it took to do everything. And yeah. then you'd have a line of customers that were angry. And it was like, I would rather not have the holiday mm-hmm. so that the day after the holiday didn't exist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're actually going to take some vacation next week and it's the first time I've taken off this year. Yeah. And, uh, we're going to go down, spend a couple of days somewhere near Galveston. And I sort of threw out the suggestion of like, what if we turned our phones completely off the entire time we were there? And that sounded so nice, but then I was like, Nope, someone's going to need me. Someone's going to need you. And I, I mean, so yeah. But at the same time, I, it's like you're off. <laughs> you shouldn't be accessible. I have such a hard time with that. Cause I'm like, I'm off. I shouldn't be accessible. Why am I making myself accessible? And that's where we talk about in boundaries. Like when, when so obviously we need to keep reading the book. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're not experts on this at all, but I think that's part of it. Like if you are off and you are vacationing and the goal of that is to not make yourself accessible to your work or to your job, then that's what it is, you know? And I I understand part of it, especially from like a pastor's perspective. Like I know brother Paul, I've tried to mention it to him several times when he takes time off. Um, Hey, if something happens, man, we can take care of it. But sure enough, somebody will pass away. And he's told us, he said, somebody will die. I'm in the middle of vacationing with my family and I have to leave everything and come back and do a funeral. I want to be a pastor that says, Hey, listen, I'd love to be there to do that funeral. I really would. I am out this week and I've been, planning this. We've got a great staff that would love to come alongside you and help you with that. And I think that that is where churches need to step back and go, yeah, that sounds great. But what happens is somewhere in that ministry or in that time, somebody will go, well, you're the pastor. You need to be here to do that. And I think you have to be, you might, you might have to deal with it and say, I could lose a member in the process or I could lose a family in the process if I say no to this but is your personal self-care and health worth that no? And for me, the hard part is I have to get over that anxiety that comes after saying no. Because I'll say no and then be like, oh, no. What are they going to think about? What are they going to do? And I think that's part of the issue. So like even in your work, when somebody's dropping the ball, you feel an obligation to keep the, the the work going. So you pick up somebody else's slack, even though it's not your slack to pick up, you know, you, I used to never take a lunch break because I thought, man, why am I taking lunch? I got all this other stuff to do. And I was like, no, like I need to take just, even if it's just 30 minutes where I'm not here and I can clear my head. One of the things I've started to do recently to help me clear my head in the morning because being ADHD is super fun. I wake up and my mind is already like three or four different places at once. And, um, what I've been doing, I've been researching and reading a little bit on it is I've been putting my headphones on and I turn on Spotify on my phone and I just play Brown noise for like five minutes. So it's just, it's, it's almost like 
it's almost like baby sleep noises. <laughs> like, you know, you have that little baby sleep thing. It's not that like the, not like lullabies or anything, but just that white, it's not white noise. It's called brown noise. Cause it's like brownian effect or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, and they say that what the goal of that is, is it helps your mind and your brain just kind of not think on something. And so if anything, it helps you just kind of get a clean slate to start your day. So you don't have, multiple things going because with me multiple things start and then multiple things keep going people ask me all the time like oh well, you didn't get that done and i'm like you're right because when you told me that i already had 10 things in my brain when you told me that one thing and i can't always write things down as fast as people ask me like on sunday mornings i would have to literally walk around with a notebook and a pen <laughs> on sunday mornings and for the first time i for the first couple of years i did this job that's what i did I walked around everywhere with a notebook. I wrote down everything. Anytime somebody asked me, even if it was like a five or 10 minute meeting, I had notes on it because I was going to forget something and I did not want to forget something. Um, But then it just got so overwhelming when you fill up this whole notebook with just stuff and you're looking back at it and you're like, wow, this is just too much. Um, And I was terrible about delegating. I still kind of am, but I'm getting better. Um, So anyways, I think through all of those things that for me, being able to start my day where I'm not thinking is huge because it gives me a better perspective on what's important for that day. Um, Every morning I wake up, I'm like, man, I need to do a quiet time or, or some sort of like a devotional. That's a fleeting thought in the midst of five to 10 other thoughts that morning. And usually the thoughts that are time pressing are the thoughts that get priority. And I think that's what's hard for me is devotional time, even for me, gets separated out into whenever I can fit it in as opposed to being a priority for the day. I would love to be able to just wake up at six o'clock in the morning, grab a great cup of coffee, sit out on my back patio and just listen to nature and watch the trees and feel the cool breeze soon as I wake up though, I got like a two year old on me, you know? And so it's like, well, there's, goes my solitude. And so it, you have to almost find those creative moments now, like where you can during the day. Um, and everybody's like, Oh, and what I love is people even go, Oh, well, you need one of these clocks that tells your kid when to get out of bed. And like <laughs> Riker kids don't obey things, especially clocks. We saw one of those where it's like, oh, there's this clock and when it's yellow, they can get out. And when it's red, they have to stay in bed. My kid would throw that across the room and be like, I'm not listening to that thing because I have very independent, beautiful, strong-willed children. Anyway, that's see ADHD. Whole other side note. I went from brown noise to frustrations at home and then work in between. But I think part of that is boundaries in our personal life especially when it comes to church as ministers, I think it's a priority for us that we have to be more careful with how we use volunteers. And I think part of it is we're asking people to do things that maybe they're not geared to do, but if we were able to create something for them that fit their life a little bit better, I think your church and ministries would explode because you are actually giving people things that they can utilize themselves in as opposed to feeling like they have to do something, you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's just kind of a thought. What are your thought processes on that? 
thought processes on what? Uh, you weren't even listening. So Travis is over here yawning and sleeping. Coffee did not work. He's full of pasta. And now he's like, I can't do it. I'm just kidding. Well, but talking about like the way that churches, the way that especially ministers uh, in churches, how we can overutilize that volunteer to ministry ratio. Well, it's just hard because, you know, I won't call anybody out, but even the people that I go to, like I get that not everybody wants to work with youth, but yeah. like I go to the same people over and over and over and over because it took me forever. Like it took me six months to find people who wanted to do Sunday school. Yeah. And then it took me like another six months to find another person to do Sunday school. And like that's just Sunday school. That's not Wednesday night volunteers. That's not camp. And it's just hard because the people that say yes say yes to everything even yeah. when they probably should take a break yeah um so yeah but i think we have a responsibility to recognize that too like when we go oh but then you this get, person says yes to everything you get back to that point of like well what's the alternative cancel the program yeah because that's when i get fired <laughs> but i mean I've, I've always thought of it this way if you can't find people to work the nursery then don't have a nursery and they're like, well, we're going to have screaming babies in the in the service. Yes. <laughs> that is your alternative. <laughs> and that's fine. There's not, you know, I think that those are the things that people want things, but they want somebody else to do things. And I think it can, I think it can bleed over into pastors too. Like they, they want ministry to take place in their church, but they want to hire someone to do that and implement it. And which is fine, which is completely fine if that's the approach. But what's going to happen is, is you're going to tire out a pastor and the 1700 people that have been doing it are going to retire and never go back to ministry ever again. There was a book called Rethink um, years and years ago about youth ministry and youth ministers. They said that most youth ministers that start off in ministry only last a year and a half in ministry. And then they quit ministry all together because they're just done. And, um, excuse me. And they said that one of the things that happens is, is they track those guys. They say that six months to a year after they've left the church ministry vocation, they said their prayer life is better. Their devotional life is deeper that their church, uh, attendance and, and love of church is deeper because they're not in the vocational setting. And I always try to warn guys when they come into ministry. I'm like, look, ministry is great, but you can see the good and the bad side of people in ministry, and you've got to be able to um, look past some of that. And I'm I'm not the best at that. Anybody that works with me for f- more than five minutes, I mean, today I told them, I said, I woke up cynical today, <laughs> and so I'm hoping that by the end of the day I'm hopeful. Um, so sometimes sometimes you just wake up and you're like, I'm not looking forward to this because of these things. Um, and that's hard and that's really hard to get into. And I think that what I do appreciate about the book is it gives you a lot of hope and freedom when you feel those things that sometimes those things are there because you didn't say no. And now it has impacted your life because you said no to an outside thing on you. Or you didn't say yes to what you wanted to. You know, you didn't say yes to what would bring you fruit because you were 
you were afraid that by saying yes to that, it might cause something else to happen over here. And so those things I think are super important for us as individuals. Like if I say yes to, to a, to closing my door and having a quiet 30 minutes to an hour where I can reflect and do, I feel like because my door is not open and I'm not accessible that people are going to think I'm not doing my job. And that's really, that's a really hard place to be in, but sometimes you got to close that door. And if people think that you're not doing your job, I've always said, if you don't think I'm doing my job, I invite you come alongside me, walk, shadow me everywhere I'm going throughout the day. And I promise you there's going to be moments where you're going to be bored to death. And then there's going to be moments where I don't even see like there's moments I don't even see my desk or my computer for an entire day because there's just so much stuff to be done. Like tomorrow, installing TVs and putting up this and printing these things out and getting ready for meetings and all that stuff takes time. It can be real boring. It can, but at the same time, it's the tasks that's got to get done. And so when you look at the whole aspect of the day, if I need to shut my door for an hour, that's what it is. Tough. And so, but that's me saying yes to something and no to something else. Because if I say yes to that, I'm probably saying no to a task that should get done or that could get, get done. But that's what I love about, um, Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. I don't know if you've ever been through that one. Uh, I think I read it quickly in college, but it's been a minute. Yeah, it's it's a good college kind of, hey, here's how you handle yourself text. But n- nobody really puts it in practice much anymore. But he does those four, those four boxes of priorities for your life and how to prioritize things. And you label things as being important or not important or mildly important or can things that can be tabled, you know. I always have a hard time differentiating that. And I think that's where like my brain, I've got to refocus my brain to be able to think that way. I see every task as being highly important. I never really can go, Oh, well, that could be tabled. You know, every task is the most important task has to get done right then, right now, you know? Um, but even then he even tells you focus on what's a priority and then what's not a priority chunk it, um, or, or hand it off, you know, don't feel like you got to do it. Um, and that's, that's a tough spot to be in. But if we did that in our personal lives, like not just our work, but even things in like family, you know, there are certain things that I feel like are a priority for our family. Those are the things we do. There are things that aren't a priority, um, that we just keep tabling or we delegate out. Like one of the things that, that we try to, to think laundry laundry's one laundry's a priority you got to have clothes to wear right you don't wear sneaky clothes all day long um but it's not like the task that has to get done that day well at least not yet <laughs> get, down, <laughs> get down to it but like if we sit back and go okay the priority today is we haven't had any time together as a family well then today's priority like tonight tonight's priority is dinner and a movie We've had a busy homeschool day. We've had a lot of things going on, a lot of learning. The kids are exhausted. So tonight is takeout and movie. And you're thinking, golly, you watch a movie in the middle of the week? Yeah, we're homeschool. Like, we can do that, you know? Um, But that's a priority for our family. That's family time. I've got a meeting stuck in the middle of that, but we'll figure it out. (laughs) Um, But that's where you have to be able to say, okay, 
this is how we're going to do. This is how we're, it's going to be important. Um, and if our homeschool day was on a Monday, well then guess what? Monday would be takeout and a movie night. Anything to kind of help offset the busyness of the day, decompress and have time together as a family. And we let the kids pick the movie. We don't have to pick the movie. Um, if they want to rent one off of Amazon prime, well then golly, let's rent one. You know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, what we have available. And so for us, that's priority today. So guess what? I'm not going to vacuum my floor or I'm not going to sweep, you know, I'm not going to mop my kitchen. I'm not going to reorganize my home office. I'm not going to do it because that's not the priority that gets tabled to another day. So I think that those are things, even when you're family, you have to practice those boundaries. Yeah. There may be somebody dropped by your house and you got dirty clothes stacked in a corner. They're just going to have to deal with it, you know? Um, but I think that's where we have to step back and say, there's that pressure that we feel Whereas there's that outside pressure that we feel to keep everything together and to, to make it look like appearance wise, we've got it all figured out all the time, which then puts internal pressure on us. I feel like we've got to have it all figured out and together all the time. So I don't know. I'm kind of rambling. I think at this point I'm kind of going off on several things, but anyways, even in our own personal life, there's some boundaries within family that need to be made. For sure. I think there's, you need to have boundaries in every aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that's a good overview of chapter one. Um, the next one is what uh, does a boundary look like? Ooh. So, I mean, we kind of just talked about what happens when you don't have boundaries and how people burn out in various situations. But yeah, I guess we're just going to take this chapter by chapter. Yeah. And uh, see what we like, what we don't like. I'll tell you right now, the chapter on family is super fun. <laughs> I'm looking forward to a lot of these. Yeah. But I think that even just understanding what a boundary is, because it's essentially putting up a wall to things, you know, some boundaries are permanent. Some boundaries are temporary and you just need it for a season. Yeah. So when we didn't even talk about like how personality probably also plays into. Oh yeah. The need of boundaries. Like, Oh yeah. My personality. I mean, you're an extrovert. Yeah. You you like being around people. Yeah, I'd I'm rather in, be around people than in my office. I'm an introvert, and I can be around people, but after like three or four hours, like I need some time by myself. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we'll. I mean, we'll get into that. I'm sure as we start looking at more things, but. But Nathan's but, at the door and needs us. So yeah, we'll yeah. We, we're, we're now speaking of boundaries. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so. Well, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, or concerns on any of this that we've kind of talked about, don't be afraid to text us or call us. Uh, if it's after five, we may not answer you until the next day. There's boundary. But um, but who knows? You might be surprised. Um, also, but, feel free to buy the book and read along. Yeah, yeah, Definitely get the book. You can get it off of Amazon. You can get it off of um, christianbook.com. Um, usually, it's about 10 bucks, sometimes even less. Um it's had so many copies everywhere. You can even get to a used copy where somebody already wrote about their whole life in it and then just read about their life too and dream big dreams. So um, anyways, if you have questions, let us know and we would love to help you out. Other than that, hope you guys are having a blessed week and we'll see you next time.